Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Last week was just about my worst nightmare, uh, probably about six o'clock, uh, got some, some stomach stuff going on, and seriously, 6.30, I'm like, Logan, things aren't going well, and he had to step in. That's like my greatest fear, but he did a fantastic job. Uh, super thankful for Logan. He did an incredible job. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have him here with us in Young Adults. Um, but I want you guys to uh, uh, think about relationships. Uh, we're going to be in our Relationship Goals series uh, for the next couple of weeks. I'm so excited. I feel like this is going to be something that's going to give uh, life to our group, uh, is going to show us uh, how we can live the way that God intended us to live and hopefully uh, just breathe some life uh, into you. Um, relationship goals. It's one of those things that you see on Instagram. If you follow any like super popular people, they're tagging with their boo. They got relationship goals, right? Um, I I was looking at some stuff today because I'm not connected to popular culture. um, And I was looking through uh, Instagram's relationship goals hashtag, and there's some hilarious stuff out there. Uh, Google search brings up a a wide array of things. I don't suggest it. Um, But uh, when you think about relationship goals, you think about uh, like Kim and Kanye and like they're they're, they're dressed to the nines. They look awesome. They're going to do cool stuff. And like, yeah, they do have my relationship goals. They have a couple of kids and they're never with them in their pictures. Like they just leave them at home. That's my relationship goal at this point. Can I get in? Tyler said I'm in. I heard her from the back. Um, But like you look at Kim and Kanye and you're like, that's my relationship goal. Um, Chrissy Teigen and and John Legend, anybody? Big fan? One person clapped. Yeah, okay. Like you you have some ideas of like, you look at a couple and you're like, that's all I've ever wanted to be. If I could get somebody that we could just hang out at a resort and take awesome pictures that, man, that's not even an iPhone X. that's That's a DSLR photo that people are uploading for. That's incredible. Uh, I got some pictures that I think are, are probably less than relationship goals. Uh, I love this. Just an old dude, if you can't read it, his shirt says, if lost, return to Jan. And then her, sh- her shirt says, I am Jan. I love that. Uh, you got the next one. Uh, these two people are just in the Walmart um, and she's, she's in there with the eggs and everything that they've got. He looks less than happy. That may not be a relationship goal that you have. Uh, And then this guy might be my favorite. This is the greatest relationship goal. Uh, It was hard for me to see what was what at first, um, but he's got his dog on his shirt and his dog has him on his shirt. That's, I just wanna be on somebody's shirt. At some point in my life, I'm with Jan, something like that. But relationship goals are are kind of one of those funny things because you set some people on a pedestal and you're like, man, if only I could live the same life Kim and Kanye live. Like, one, that would be insane, and I'm just happy to be in the same room with you at some point. Uh, But two, I think we kind of set people on a pedestal and we go, ah, that's where I really want to live, but we don't know what it took to to get there. We don't know what their day-to-day life. The problem with relationship goals is that you just get to see a snapshot. You get to see... an eight second video and you're like, ah, that's my relationship goal. You see that couple outside and you're like, man, I I just want that to be me for a minute at a time. And you don't see all the backstory that went into it. You don't see everything else that happens with their relationship. Um, and, And really, I think what we can set our sights on for a relationship goal really is just what culture says is fabulous. It's two attractive people living it up at the beach, and they're all over each other, right? You look at that and you're like, that's what people want. 
That's what people would say, this is a relationship goal for me. Um, and it's really, if we boil it down, it's really what culture says a relationship goal is versus what we see in the Bible. And I don't think everything in culture is terrible, but I think with relationships specifically, it's one of the ways that as believers, I don't think anybody's looking at relationships and going, man, who is it that's just crushing it and doing it right? Ah, the church, Christians, right? Like, that's just not something that you think about all the time. You don't think, all right, man, I'm going to figure out how to do uh, relationships really well, but this is going to be the first place that I look. It just doesn't happen all the time. Um, That really what we're looking at in this series is culture versus what the Bible says for relationships. And I'm so excited. Uh, Kelsey Strauss is sharing next week. Logan's the week after that. Um, So we're talking about some pretty specific things like singleness and dating and what you need to do in those. But tonight, you you might be in a spot where you're like, listen, not in a relationship. I've got a couple ideas. Valentine's Day coming up. I might be pretty sad. Uh, I might just hang and watch Netflix. Uh, And that's okay. Uh, Because this week, we're going to talk about just relationships in general, because you have relationships. If you came here with someone, you have a relationship. If you're sitting next to one, you can look at them and say, hi, and you have a relationship with them, right? There's some kind of fabric there. Keep, yeah, you all got it figured out. You're saying hi. There's some kind of fabric there between you all. Um, If you're somebody's son or daughter, you've got a relationship. If you're somebody's brother, daughter, friend, employee, you've got some kind of relationship. So this is going to apply to you. But I think when we look at relationship goals, when we look at the, the relationships that we have, sometimes it just makes me wonder, like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more that God intended for our relationships than just the status quo, than just, because sometimes I can come into a relationship and go, all that it, there is to that relationship is when we're in the same room together, this is what ends up happening, right? Like, the, this is the chemistry that we have. This is the relationship. This is how we communicate. This is what we have. Um, but I think it's important to talk about relationships because relationships carry weight. Whether you, you understand that and you believe that and you put thought and time into that or not, it's true that relationships carry weight. And you know that because looking back and the people that have hurt you the most are probably the people that have been very close to you. And the people that can bring you the most joy are the people that have been close to you that relationships carry weight. We know that, we understand that. For good and for bad, um, we get that. Well, uh, we're talking about relationship goals, relationship goals. I think we know what a relationship is. It's the fabric between two people. Um, But what's a goal? Uh, I think sometimes that can kind of get lost in this. Is this something that we're gonna just set out and not really talk about? I wanna talk about what a goal is. A goal is the object of a person's ambition or effort. An aim or desired result. An aim or desired result. And you think about relationships and you don't think about a person's effort. Like I just think about this is what happens. This is how I riff with this person when we're in the same room. This is how I don't. I don't really get it. I don't always think about effort. I don't always think about ambition in a relationship. That when you see somebody, when you see Kim and Kanye on Instagram, you're like, that's great, I want that. But you don't see what happens. It's effort, it's ambition. And the second part of that, an aim or a desired result. Man, what, where, where would you say the aim of your relationships is taking you? If you could say, this is where I'm aiming this relationship, where would you say that it's taking you? 
Well, hey, if you want to open up, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, open up. If you take notes, uh, that's a great thing. Um, a great way to take notes is on the High Street app. If you go to any of those things and just search High Street app, um, it'll come up. All of our notes are already in there, and you can just kind of follow along that way. Uh, but all the verses will be on the screen, too. We're in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, but we're talking about goals um, because I think it's important to talk about the direction, the aim, the importance, because God does have a plan for your life. And if we're not setting it on what the Bible says and what the aim, the direction, the, the purpose that he has for our relationships, then we're aiming it for something else. And who knows where it's going to end up. That God has a plan for your relationships, but it's also true that our enemy has a plan for our relationships. Um, I, I think about what the enemy's plan for, for your relationships is, and it's not good. Like, he wants there to be a, a trail of broken hearts behind you. He wants there to be a lot of people, well, we don't really talk. Uh, I think we used to be close, but things aren't going so well. Um, he wants that to be your case. He wants you to live in isolation. I think about in uh, Genesis, when God was creating things, he was creating the earth, and he said, it's good, and he created water, and he said, it's good, and he said, uh, I'm going to create plants and vegetation, and he said, it's good, and, and fruit, and it's good, and everything in the water, it's good, Things in the air, it's good. And then he made man and said, it's good. And then he came back and said, ah, actually, it's not good that you're alone. That the enemy wants you to be isolated. He wants you to believe that nobody's in the same boat as you. He wants you to believe nobody's in the same stage of life. Nobody has the same thoughts as you. I can't believe you would really believe that. I can't believe you would think that about that person. I can't believe that you would have that doubt. He wants to isolate you. So there's good hope in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Here's, here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What, what's he talking about? Where, where are we going with this? Um, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about people. And he's saying, I, I used to, Paul, he, I used to consider uh, Christ in the flesh. Paul used to be named Saul before he had this crazy conversion. And he was, I mean, followed all the rules, hated what Jesus was doing. So he went and he persecuted Christians. And he would have assumed that Jesus was just a guy who was just ruffling up feathers. So Jesus, according to the flesh, was a guy that you just go, oh my gosh, just stop. You, you don't get it. You're, you're annoying. I, you're not doing any good. You're preaching some good things. You're seeing some miracles happen, but you just need to stop. He regarded him according to the flesh. Earthly values. You're making things hard for me. Think about the disciples. The disciples followed Jesus for three years, and up until the end, they didn't really get it. They were saying dumb things, and I think that's good news for us. These guys were with Jesus and they said dumb things all the way to the end. You and I can figure things out in discipleship. That's what the community's for. But um, they would say things like, Jesus, who's going to be on your throne? Because they thought it was going to be an earthly throne and they would be able to sit next to him. That These guys didn't get it. That they were listening to Jesus as far as earthly things goes. And, and it's easy to think about people this way in relationship. Think about those people at your work. Think about those people in your family that you look at them and go, Oh my word, if they could just stop doing fill in the blank, right? Like whatever, whatever it is that, that your family, that the people at your work, the people in your friend group, if they would just stop doing so much, then everything would start getting handled, right? That it's so easy to, to diagnose people's problems. Man, if he would just stop 
everything would be, he would figure it all out, things would go a lot better. But he's saying, hey, you're, you're regarding people in the flesh. We've got to stop doing that. And here's um, what he's saying why. In 517, he says, therefore, stop regarding people in the flesh. And here's why. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's what Paul's saying here. Hey, people have their big list of issues, but none of that's going to change until they know Jesus. Because the only thing that can truly make them new is a relationship with Christ. If you think about your life as a tree, as a plant, as something that bears fruit, and, and, and just use me as an example. If, if my life was a tree and the fruit that my life was bearing was anger and bitterness and resentment, and for a small season, somebody came up to me and went, Jared, you just seem kind of angry, kind of bitter, kinda, you just seem guys got some resentment. You want to try fixing that? Sure, yeah, I'll try to be happier and better with people and not hold grudges against. And it might work for a couple of weeks. Um, but eventually, that fruit is going to come back, right? Why? Because that's what's coming up from within me, from the soil, from the water, from the type of tree that I am. So what Paul's arguing here is that until we start to see the people around us and ourselves too, as the only way that we can change is through Christ making us new. There's no other way that we'll start to see relationships start to bear fruit until we understand we need to be made new in Christ. That that person, maybe you're a believer and you're here and you're like, I don't get why that person, it's so frustrating. Well, until they understand that they need to be made new in Christ, it's never going to be what it should have been. That that should be our primary goal. In, in anything that we do, in our relationships with people, we need to understand, man, you've got a set of issues, but there's a bigger problem lying underneath. And that's that you're not in Christ, so you're not made new. The old is still there. Of course it's going to be bad fruit on that tree. Why would I expect anything different? So verse 18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. Okay, he said the word reconcile a lot. So we're going to look at a definition of the word reconcile. To reconcile is to settle a dispute, to bring into agreement or harmony, to be brought back, to be made new again. When I think of the word reconcile, I think of a couple that's been divorced or separated, and there's some kind of something between them that they haven't quite figured out yet. And he's saying, hey, there's some reconciliation that needs to happen. You need to be brought back. And the cool thing about this is that it's not, I feel like every time I read about the gospel, I see this. This is not, hey, we can be together with Christ, but you have to read your Bible so much. You have to show up to church. You have to start getting it right nine times out of ten, or God won't reconcile you with himself. No, it says God reconciled us to himself. At other parts in the Bible, it says that we are dead in our sin. 
There is nothing that Paul is saying here that we can partially reconcile ourselves back to God. No, but God's heart is that he sees the person that's far from him and he brings them in close. It says that he's reconciling the world to himself. And I don't feel like I can paint a bigger picture, a picture big enough of what this means, that God is reconciling the world to himself. That there's not a person, whether that's you, your worst enemy, the person who said that they would never, that God can't bring close to himself. That God's not drawing that no matter what you have done or what you bring in here, God is drawing you to himself saying, hey, I'll reconcile us. I'll step over the mountain of a mess that has been made so that we can be on speaking terms again, so that we can be close, so that you can understand how much I love you. And, and the crazy thing about it, that's what God said he does through reconciliation But then he says, I give you that work. I give you the work of reconciliation. And that's where, man, it's not up to you and I to like, oh man, I've got to figure out how to reconcile every relationship that I've got. So that uh, person that I pushed over in second grade, I got to find their Facebook, call them, tell them I'm sorry. Like that's, that's not what I'm getting at. But he's saying that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, saying, hey, who I am as a God, going and finding the people that are far from me and offering relationship to them, that's the message that you carry. That's why we meet. That's why we get together as a group, because we want to see young adults in Springfield start to understand that God has reconciled them to himself. It's nothing that I can do. It's nothing that Logan can do. It's nothing that you can do, that God has reconciled you to himself, that he has opened every door to relationship that could ever be opened and said, hey, I am here waiting for you to respond. That God has reconciled us to himself and he gives us that ministry. And I think that takes place on a grand scale. That that's why we exist as a church. That's why we exist as young adults. But I also think it exists relationally. That that's the reason God left us here. That God didn't just wait until somebody accepted Christ or prayed the right prayer and go, okay, he's almost there, he's almost there. He prayed the right prayer, bring him up to heaven, right? Like he left you here when you became a believer so that you could have a hand in this. So that, man, you, you are not going to be perfect but God lets us just be conduit of his love that God gave us imperfect relationship to show his perfect love. And that's a hard thing to think about because I'm not perfect and I'm gonna mess it up. But that's the standard that God says, hey, the door is open. I've stepped over the mess that you've made and I'm letting you have relationship with me again. And my part in it is to just go, God did that for me. And he'll do it for you too. And that's the role that he outlines here. And I think there just start, there's, there starts to be a, a little bit of dissonance. A little bit of um, 
sandpaper, because that's a nice thought. I think we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, but what ends up happening is that we have a bunch of relationships that are maybe not terrible, but not great either, and we end up, man, I go to church and I worship God, um, but I don't talk to anybody at my work because they're kind of crazy. I'll go on a mission trip, um, but no one really knows what I'm struggling with. And what we are arguing here with our actions, maybe not our words, is that, hey, you can have relationship with God, but you can't have relationship to me. And we end up pushing people out a little bit because, well, we had a little thing, things aren't good, I'm not really sure how that's going to go if we had that conversation. But let me, let me shine a light on what God says about that. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for you to right your wrongs before he loved you. So when we look at people, it's easy to go, well... You did a lot of stuff wrong, so I'm just going to wait for you to get it all right. But that's not what our God does. He steps over the mountain of mess while we're still making it so that we can have relationship with him. And you're like, but okay, I I get that cosmically between me and God, but how does that play out with me and like my roommate that it's hard to talk to them about stuff, right? Uh, it's not in the notes, but in Romans 12. In Romans 12, Paul says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I like that there's a, there's a couple little, little qualifying statements on there because sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there's more things out of your control than you can hand, handle. Sometimes hey, you just need to own everything that you've done. Because I've been the guy that goes, hey, you know that 10% of the problem that I contributed? I did that wrong. I was just gonna, sorry, I, was gonna, I thought you were gonna say something. No, it's good. That like, I'll give a conditional apology as long as I think there's one coming back my way, but it doesn't say that. It says, hey, as much as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. And that puts a lot of weight on your shoulders if you're a believer. Now, I think there's two verses that, that give, I mean, just concrete evidence of what we need to do. And they're both in, in Matthew. In Matthew 5, uh, he's talking about anger and having anger with uh, other people. Matthew 5, 23, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, now pause, what that would have meant is that once a year they would have brought a gift to the altar to have their sins atoned in old Jewish law. Now when Christ came, he abolished the law. That's not how we live anymore. But to a Jewish person, they would have understood that. They would have understood that, okay, biggest day of the year, think Christmas, think your wedding day. Uh, you, You wouldn't have forgotten when it is. He's saying, hey, if... You're bringing your gift to the altar. And there, while you're at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you. So you've done the wrong in this situation. What does it say to do? It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. The initiative is on you, believer. The initiative, man, you've wronged someone. You don't wait for them, for their feelings to start feeling better. You don't, you go and you make things right. You apologize. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, now you've been wronged against. 
You're the one who's been wronged. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can you imagine if we just started living by these two things by themselves, how, how attractive this place would be to outsiders where it's not like that person leaves and walks away and we all go, ah, oh, man, that dude, he just can't get it all figured out. Bless his heart. We'll pray for him. You know what I mean? Like if, if we just went, hey, you got a problem with him? Don't tell me about it. You go to him. It seems simple, right? That's what the Bible's telling us to do. But it says, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Now, Matthew 18 has a lot to say about if stuff has gone wrong, you've been sinned against, this is what you do, and it gives a good order of things. But here's the gist of those two. If, something, if someone has something against you, or if you have something against someone else, the standard is to go, to initiate, to take the first step, to go into talk. And I think that's so important, not because we need to be people that are like airing out all of our dirty laundry and like gonna be the most abrasive, uh, conflict-ridden people in the world. I don't think that would be a good place to live. Um, but we're going to be people who do what Christ did and we take the first step. Can you imagine if you've wronged someone and, and they're doing the same thing too and you didn't, you didn't go talk to everybody in your friend group besides them, if you and them together just said, we're going to talk and figure this thing out. Man, so much less collateral damage. So much, just a cleaner way to live. But I think it's bigger than that. That's what Christ did for us. He didn't sit around and wait. He didn't go, ah, as soon as they start kind of living how I asked them to live, then we'll, then we'll start doing things. Did I think we need to change the way that we looked at conflict? Conflict gives opportunity to reconciliation. That when you look at this and you're like, okay, we're, we're, we're giving people the ministry of reconciliation. How are we able to do that? How, what does that look like in a practical sense? This is a fantastic place to start. That as we start thinking about how do we live in community, how do we have a relationship goal that is, man, I just want to have good relationships around me. And I'm not saying that we need to go air out every piece of dirty laundry but what if we took things and said, we're, we're not going to let them fester. I'm going to do what Christ did. I'm going to go. Um, I, I'm reading through uh, the beginning of the Bible, and I read through uh, the story of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers um, sold him into slavery. He got sold into slavery, and they assumed, like, man, we're, we're never going to see him again. And, and through a crazy set of circumstances, Joseph rises to power in Egypt where he's sold into slavery. And then where his brothers are, uh, there's a famine, and they end up going to Egypt where Joseph is and basically begging him for food and help, and they didn't know it was him. So they show up at Joseph's doorstep, who's this high-ranking official saying, hey, I need help. Help us. We, we don't know what to do. And Joseph would have had every right, and honestly, none of us could have said anything if he would have rubbed their noses in it, if he would have said, no, get out of here. He went away and he cried and then he came back and he reconciled with his brothers. But the phrase that he used was, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And I think that's where we see that there's a potential here. Why? Because relationships carry weight. 
that our relationships have the power to breathe life into people or to breathe the stink of death into people. And we have the opportunity to take what Satan wants in isolation, in poor relationships, in a string of broken hearts behind us and say, Satan meant it for evil, but God will use it for his good. That's something only a God who reconciles can do. That's only something God who redeems can do. That maybe you're, you're here tonight, uh, and this is going to get real practical uh, two-thirds of the way through, but maybe there's somebody that you need to go to. Somebody that you need to send a text and just say, hey, can we meet up for coffee? And, and, and I, I, I want to be smart with this. What I'm not saying is that you need to open yourself up to every type of abuse. Hey, you just, you just become a, a rug. No, 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 that's not it. But you need to at least open the door. You need to say, hey, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to live peaceably. Now you need boundaries, you need guardrails, you need some safe things in your life. But as much as it depends on you, you're going to live peaceably with all. You're going to show that there's no person that God's not willing to reconcile. Maybe you just need to, after this service, send somebody a text and say, hey, can we get together and talk? Maybe not air out every piece of dirty laundry, but you need to own up to your side of things and not expect them to come back, but own up to your side of things to offer reconciliation as much as it depends on you. Um, Look in verse 20. Um, So, therefore, having said all of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us we implore you to implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that, we, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, there's so much good truth in there. For our sake he made Jesus who didn't know any sin. There is a, a cosmic a massive chasm between us and God because of the sin that is in our lives. That no amount of good, no amount of right things that we can do, that we could ever step over that chasm. But what happened is Jesus came and he lived a life that that none of his work ever made him deserve to be separated from Christ. But he took the penalty of what we deserved for all the wrong things that we had done so that we didn't have to and so that Christ could be the bridge from us to God. That's what he's saying. That's the story that you get to tell. And he's saying you're ambassadors. When somebody's an ambassador, they carry a weight that's not their own. When someone is an ambassador, they get to go on someone else's behalf. There's bigger things at play in our relationships besides, ah, they don't really fill my cup. Or, ah, I don't really get along with them. We are, if you are a believer, you are an ambassador for Christ. It's a weight. And maybe you've been following Christ and things have been going okay, but you haven't been an ambassador for Christ. You haven't been showing people, hey, this is who Jesus is. Hey, I'm gonna show you by my actions how much Christ loves you. That you have to look at your relationships. Man, they're imperfect. Man, they're gonna be messy. Man, they're gonna be hard but they're an opportunity to show the perfect love of Christ in little ways and in big ones. And if we don't step into that opportunity, someone may never hear the good news of what Christ has done for them. 
Maybe your step tonight is getting on board with that and, and being an ambassador. And you go, okay, what's my first step in that? How do I start relaying this message of reconciliation? Pray. All you can do right now is pray. That maybe there's a specific name that you go, I know that person, I haven't been the ambassador to them that I could have been. That person, I, I know that I just need to sit down and tell them, this is what God's done for me. That I'm gonna choose to be an ambassador. Why? Not because it's easy, but because it's the effort, the ambition, and the aim of our relationships. It's to be an ambassador for Christ. That maybe tonight, as soon as the song starts, you need to flood the altar and just pray for someone. Because you don't have the words. I don't have the words that are going to bring people to Christ. But the Holy Spirit does. He'll give you the words. He'll tell you what to say. He'll fill that space with you and for you if we go. And maybe you're here tonight and you go, man, I never got past that first verse. That if I'm found in Christ, that I'm a new creation. I can see how the way that I live my life is always going back to the same cavity that I see in my heart. I'm trying to fill it with a different relationship, with a new thing, with shopping, with friends, with the next high, whatever it might be. It might not be a relationship, but there's only one relationship that can fill that void for us, and it's Christ. And that's the only way that we're going to be made new. Would you bow your heads? If that's you today, it's easy to turn to Christ. Following him means a lot, but we can believe in his name in a simple way. That God's reconciling you, turning to you in this moment, saying, come to me. So you just need to respond. That if that's you, I'm just going to lead a, a simple prayer. That you could pray along. You can talk to someone afterwards and say, I didn't understand everything, but I want to. You can ask more questions. Man, we're, we're here for any of that. But I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer if that's you. God, I need you. God, I'm tired of living for myself. You love me and you gave your son for me. He was perfect and he died where I should have so that I could know you. And God, I need you to fill me with new life. And God, I want to walk with you. Oh, mm-hmm.